0: Welcome to Finding God on Park Street, a podcast from St. Thomas More, Yale's Catholic Chapel and Center. My name is Grace Kleiss, and I'm your host, joined by Zach Moynihan as my student co-host today. Thanks for listening. Father Ryan is many things to many people—priest, pastor, mentor, friend, running partner, and chaplain to those of us at St. Thomas More. Over the summer break, he joined us to talk about his path first to the Catholic Church, and then later to the priesthood, as well as what life is like for him these days, shepherding souls in the great city of New Haven, and especially on our campus. And if you've heard Father Ryan preach at Mass, you know he has some favorite and often repeated phrases that he tends to incorporate into his homilies, his greatest hits, as Zach calls them. So we ask him about those, too. Let's dive in. Father Ryan, you just shared that this is your first podcast.
1: Very first podcast. (laughs) Yep.
0: Well, you couldn't have picked a better one, Finding God on Park Street from St. Thomas More. Thanks for joining us here today Very in the studio. Very happy
1: to be here with you today. Thank you. Thank you. To be with you both.
0: In the summer, I'm guessing as we're kind of nearing the end of summer looking ahead to the academic year, your life as a chaplain, your days look a little bit different than they do during the academic year. I'm sure.
1: Sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, it's a, the chaplain is my favorite job of the jobs that I have here in the church <laughs> in the city of New Haven in the Archdiocese of Hartford, but uh Certainly in the summer, do things do tend to uh, to quiet down quite a bit on Park Street, um, almost uh, to the point where it's kind of eerie. Um, yeah. So uh, it, I'm definitely excited. You know, this part of the summer, once we've moved past the halfway point, and it's kind of even scary to even say that, that we're already more than halfway through the summer, um, you do see life start to pick up a bit more. Um, so that's always very exciting and stuff.
0: Right, yeah, Zach, you're one of our students who's here for the summer, right? But it's pretty quiet.
2: It definitely feels a lot different from the academic year. I mean, it's certainly been nice to go over to mass on Sunday mornings, but I'm usually a 9 p.m. mass goer. So going at 10 a.m. has definitely been a different vibe from what I'm used to, but it's been fun. I've been singing uh, with the choir. So definitely keeping uh, some of the traditions of the academic year going throughout the summer, which has been nice. But it's been a lot different in the sense that I tend to go to STM almost every day during the academic year, and I, I just don't go as much, which has been sad. So I'm really excited for the academic year to get going again to, um, to step foot back in that place and uh, get to see everybody after the summer, see what everyone's been up to.
0: I know there are times during the year when I almost have to shut my door because there are just so many people that pass right in front of my door, and now I'm like dying when people... Pass in front of my door and stop and chat for a few minutes. So um, I think we're, yeah, we're definitely getting ready to have students back and filling the hallways again. But Father Ryan, did you ever think that you would be back, surrounded by college students, twenty years ago, twenty plus years ago, when you were in college?
1: No, um, yeah, that's a. It's interesting the trajectory from um, when I when I was a student at Trinity College from um, 1999 to 2003, quite a while ago. Um, Twenty years. Twenty years. Yeah, 20 I know years, exactly. Um, <laughs> but uh, interestingly, I did. Um, I did spend a, little, a couple years after college. Um, I, I coached. I was an assistant coach across country and track, and did my master's degree at Trinity um, for a couple years. And then after that, I worked. Uh, had a couple of different jobs, um, possible career paths before going to the seminary. And then one of my first assignments in the first few years of being a priest, when I was working for the archbishop in the archdiocese of Hartford, as a I was working as the archbishop's secretary and chancellor. Of the archdiocese, which are basically office jobs, um, but uh, one of my my pastoral outlets, as they said, one of my assignments was to go and be chaplain at Trinity College. So that was the first kind of return to college, to my alma mater, just uh, just about a decade um, after after graduating, um, to come back then from having been there as, a, as an undergrad student and as a grad student and coach, and then going back there as a priest ten years later. That was that was quite an experience.
2: And so, what has it been like then making that transition back to the college space and ministering to college students? How does that inform the way you craft homilies, for example, or the way um, you're, you make yourself available to, to the student body here?
1: Sure, sure. Thank you, Zach. Um, yeah, I always, I always want to be thoughtful. Um, certainly, when, when, when crafting homilies, kind of keeping in mind the audience that, that that's in front of me, and that's where they're going. Um to you know a, a large suburban parish to to an inner city parish. Um, here in New Haven, there there are seven different parishes that were merging into one united parish, and each of them are their own unique communities with different needs. So um, you always want to, as a preacher, you always want to try to to keep in mind the people who are in front of you. Um, when i when I've been blessed with the opportunity to go to go back and work with with the university, Students, um, whether whether undergrads or, or graduate students um, or, or, or faculty, it's, I, I'm, I'm able to draw from some experience um, from having been a college student. But but again, we're talking twenty years ago. I'm more <laughs> like your more like your father's age than than uh, than, than a peer, you know. Um, but but having drawn from some exp, you know some of the college experiences is, is helpful, and all that comes with that experience. You know the the challenges, the the, the opportunities. Um, also the the, the struggles the, the the fears and uncertainty and um, the mistakes that we make all those things um certainly been down the, those all of those roads um many many times um, as, a, as a college student as a university student um so being able to draw from that experience and also trying to you know not only grow in your faith but keep your faith um keep your faith intact and, and bear witness to your faith um, which is super challenging and i think probably much more challenging now for 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 people you may not realize this, but for students, um, you know, in university in, now in 2023, you know, the world is much, much different. And then again, probably sound like your your parents, and I would have sounded like my parents. Um, but it, it's, I, I just have a feeling the challenges are probably greater than than they were when when I was in in college. Crafting homilies, you know, listening to the stories, um, you know, trying to stay stay abreast of what's what what our students are are, are facing, the challenges that they're facing, the opportunities that they're they're experiencing, um, drawing from my own experience and all that. Um, it's helpful to kind of go up there on, on Sunday. And at the end of the day, you start with the word of God. What is it that that God wants to say through Jesus Christ, his word and the Holy Spirit to to the people who are in front of you? What do they need to hear? So always approaching that with, with a sense of of humility, of awe, um, and and certainly from the posture of prayer. You know, what is it that what is it that these that this audience needs to hear? What is it that these students need to hear? What is it that God Wants to say to them through Christ and in, in, in the Word this Sunday, so I think that's always my approach.
0: Working in this environment with our college students at Yale is constantly inspiring. I feel like we're on the front lines in some ways of the of the growing church, and I agree. I'm I'm not 20 years out of college, but I'm further out than I realize a lot of times, and um, I am really inspired and amazed by our students who who make their faith. And living as a disciple, part of their identity as a college student, which I do agree, I think is just harder today. And maybe it's it's a different environment than my college campus, too. And so um, we're just we're very inspired by you, Zach, and all of your peers. And uh, it, it makes our job a real privilege to be spending our days with you and trying to support you as you all navigate. Your uh, time here at Yale, but Father Ryan, going back before college, because I've only no- ever known you as Father Ryan. Zach's only ever known you as Father Ryan. You weren't always Father Ryan. You weren't always Catholic either. No, no. Could you take us back to early childhood, growing up in the the great town of Manchester, Connecticut? And it is a great town <laughs> of
1: Manchester, Connecticut. Very proud of being from us, uh, <laughs> from Manchester, Connecticut, east of the river. Um, yeah. So, um, so already dated myself a little bit, 20 years out of college. So born in 1981. Um and uh I, I am a convert. My my when my parents were married, my father was Jewish and mom was Catholic. Um both were loosely practicing their faith at the time, but they came from from families from parents who were serious about their faith. My dad's Jewish parents and mom's Italian Catholic parents. Um when they were married they they were married by a rabbi. Um, they thought it would be, you know, a little bit, it was, it was difficult enough for my dad's parents to, to welcome an Italian Catholic girl <laughs> into the home. Um, so I, I think that they thought that would be kind of an, an olive branch, a way to start off their marriage together. Um, so they we were married by a rabbi. Mom was actually trained by the rabbi, became Jewish. And then um, when their twin children, my, my sister Meg and me were born, we were basically Jewish. But then they, uh, they put us into Catholic grade school. And not for the faith formation, but for they thought it was you know one of the better schools in town at the time. Um, so they, from kindergarten on, you know, here are the two Jewish kids, Ryan and Meg Lerner, but we're learning from the Sisters of Mercy, and and we're taking religion class every day. And and the, there's the crucifix on the wall, and and going to church with our classmates and everything, and growing up, you know, learning about and believing in in Jesus Christ in the church. Um, and my parents were really open to that. Again, they were they were. This was more about what their families wanted for them. Um, and as long as their, their kids grew up with a faith, you know, a spiritual life, that was important. Um, so, you know, we grew up with um, a Christmas tree uh, and, and with a manger underneath it, but with a menorah in the window. So Christmas and Hanukkah. Um, but uh, we we would go to church with my grandparents and stuff like that. And again, going to church with our classmates. And then um, in, in the Italian Catholic side, I think culturally, cu- the, the cultural Catholicism was much more influential on our lives. We did the Jewish things with my dad's family a um, few times a year. And, and that was important. That was, that was, um, that was neat in, in its own way. But when you're learning about Jesus every day and, and learning about the church every day, and then, and then kind of that's carrying over into the family experience, um, I think that that was much more formative for my sister and me. So when we were about 12 years old, I wanted to be an altar boy. Um, all my friends were altar boys, or altar, and and sooner no sooner would be altar servers. It was right about the time when when girls were were where they when the church allowed girls and the in the American church allowed girls to become servers. We were right around that age, twelve, you know, about seventh grade, sixth seventh grade. I wanted to be an altar boy. My dad was like, well, right, you know, you're Jewish, and and my sister was the more um, outspoken of the two of us, and I'm just like, well, Dad, we're not we're not really Jewish, are we? <laughs> and that was that was it. We were, it was right before we went to bed uh, that that night, and I was like, okay, well, I... You're going to have to, you know, take classes and stuff, whatever that means, <laughs> you know. So, um, so yeah, we became, we were baptized that year, around 12, 12 13 years old. Then we started to going to church together as a family. Um, and then my father became Catholic a year later, came into the RCIA. Um, what was interesting is they were always getting small Catholic school. My parents were hugely involved. My my father, the Jewish Earl Learner, with you know, co-chaired the school auction and stuff like that, you know, with you know the, uh, the 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 catholic families and everything so it was always you know a part of our lives the, the whole catholic experience um so yeah going to church with the family um around that time too right after our our conversion my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer and then she it, it, at that point you know obviously she needed to you know she need, need to be a mom and take care of her family and everything but also very you know i think scared um although she didn't she didn't show it she's extremely strong but It was almost like she became a little Italian Catholic lady. She was going to daily mass and, you know, going to these prayer groups. And Father Joe Donnelly, who is the priest emeritus, uh, who helps us out at St. Thomas More, was in Manchester at the time. And to this day, she'll always be grateful to Father Donnelly because he was the pastor of the local church and it was his daily mass that she would go to. Um, But, uh, yeah, started going to daily mass and doing all these prayers and then teaching them to my sister and, and and me, so the Rosary, the Divine Mercy, um, all the saints. Today's the feast of Saints Joachim and, and Anne. And I remember uh say, you know, growing up learning a lot about Saint Anne, but also Sebastian and Anthony, the patron of lost things, who would be my patron saint for <laughs> obvious reasons. And uh and when we would run, I'm a runner, um, going into high school, I remember had a safety pin on the inside of my uh, shorts that had like six or seven Saint medals. And uh, Joachim and Ann were, were, were two of those. And these are all kind of, you know, we learned all these things from my mom and, and our family.
0: Yeah, it's amazing to hear the ways in which the Holy Spirit works and how this really was um, an ongoing conversion for your entire family, mm-hmm. not just for you and your sister, but sure. for your parents, too.
2: And Father, and I also come from a Catholic school background going from K to 8, and um, I credit that formation with a lot of my, um, uh, with the foundation that I have in the faith now that has carried me, um, over the years and into, um, into my college years as well. And I, I feel like if I didn't have that foundation, those nine years at that Catholic grade school, I think my connection to the faith and its importance in my life would potentially be diminished. And so I, I, credit that education not only for giving me a solid academic formation, but also a, a faith formation. Clearly, those years were also very important for you, and, and I'm wondering how they also propelled you going forward as you stepped into high school and in college when you're less uh, surrounded by that Catholic presence. I mean, I'm thinking about whenever I would walk in a classroom, K-8, to I would look up and see a crucifix, and you, you see... I don't know some of those little elements that you become accustomed to sort of drift away as as you um, age out of out of that Catholic grade school environment. I'm wondering um, what kept you connected in those years thereafter.
1: Throughout my life, did I did I drift here and there? Was I challenged in my faith? Absolutely, but I definitely credit you know always coming back, um, never never stopping believing in God. You know. Um, or in the role of Jesus in my life, because of that foundation. Again, I mentioned the Sisters of Mercy before, who were teaching in the school at the time, and a couple Sisters of Saint Joseph, as well. Um, but also, there were about there were four or five priests in and out of my church at, the, at that time, who always had a presence in the school. And that was also, this was, um, you know, in the early nineties and some like of that. So, you know, it, it was not a far-fetched idea for for a young men at least, to be thinking about priesthood as a possibility. And I was blessed with having, you know, great priests and and, and nuns and, and faithful people, teachers and all, all that in my life throughout those first nine years in, in, in the Catholic school. Um, and then going to, after Catholic school, my, my sister and I were two out of seven people that went to the huge, who, who did not go to the local Catholic high school, went to the huge public high school, about 2,400 people in that school. So one of the larger uh, public high schools in, in in the state. And in so many ways, that was amazing, just the experience of diversity, of, you know, ev- every different type of manifestation of, of diversity in the public high school and all kinds of different faiths, too. But also, you know, there was definitely that experience, people that, that, that didn't believe in God. To me, that was very shocking to me, you know, and, and people in my immediate circle of friends on my cross-country team or classmates. Um but also, you know, kind of seeing that there was there was a bit of a struggle there, you know, that it it, it was it was not only shocking, but also I, I would realize, gosh, that must be that must be a tough way, a tough way to live, you know, or, or a tough way to be living as a, as a freshman in high school and with all the stuff that we're facing to have not to not have God in your life or have some, you know, some faith to fall to fall back on. I've certainly found my, you know, my faith sustained me through through high school and all the challenges that came with that. And also as, as an athlete that was. Really important. I mentioned the safety pin with all the saints in my in my running shorts and all the rituals that I would go into before going into races and things like that. You know, always pray before, always pray when we're under pressure, right? So, um, whether before exam or before um, going into a cross country or track meet or a track race, but also it was interesting, and I I wonder if this is the probably not the case now in this in the times that we are in. But you know, I here I was at a huge public high school, but then our track team, you know, 140 of us, you know, before we would leave the locker room and go out to the track um you know whether we were a visiting team or or home I was the one that would be called upon to say a prayer before we before we began this in public public school and and a whole you know 140 you know young men certainly not um not all catholic not all christians not all believing in god but certainly was not something that people would you know shout from the rooftops that either at that time it was very rare that you would meet someone who would believe, you know straight up say I don't believe in god or I don't believe in anything but to be The one that they, you know, to to be called upon to offer a prayer for the team. I, um, I, I look back and I realize what a gift that was for me and probably my teammates. uh, In a sense, you know, when we realize before we're about to put ourselves in the line that we need the power of something greater than we than we are. And I always found that to be a to be a powerful thing. And looking back, what a gift that was to be able to offer that prayer.
0: It'd be fun to be able to go back and and hear some of those prayers. Have a bird's eye view of the locker room and. Um, everyone around as, as you're leading that community that was really important to you in prayer. I'm sure praying to St. Sebastian and St. Christopher. Yeah, exactly,
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah, learner, do your thing. And everybody <laughs> just take a knee and just like, okay, let's do
0: this. That's pretty incredible. You've mentioned running a couple times and how it was a, a spiritual experience too. As you started discerning um throughout college and then after college too more seriously the call that god had on your life what role did running play throughout that
1: sure i always i, th- I always think of um, the film chariots of fire and eric little saying that you know when i w- you know um, he was talking he was he was eric little was a was a missionary um, but he was also an Olympic athlete, and um, you know his—at least in the, as the film tells it—his sister was thought that his his running and his uh, you know Olympic pursuits were pulling him away from what God really wanted him to do, and that was to be a missionary. And he said to her, "You know, God, God made me for the for the missions, made me for China. He was going to China. God made me for China, but He also made me fast. And when I when I run, I feel His joy in me." running was a way in experiencing like, you know, obviously fully alive and also pushing yourself to your limits and, and that experience of doing what God made you to do in a, in a very specific way. Um, wanting to not only do my job and, and walk off the track, you know, or, or off the course, you know, happy knowing that I did my job and I tried my best and I, you know, I pleased my coach or, or my team or whatever, but also that looking back in the sense that I was, I glorified God. I did what God wanted me to do. And if I, if I did well, you know, in, in that part of my life, or other parts of my life as well, then it was in some sense glorifying God, being fully alive. So running was definitely a, a spiritual activity, in a sense, and still is. It's it's one of the best ways for me to pray when I'm when I'm out running. It's where I sort things out or or, or mull over things with God, um, and and where God speaks to me. Definitely, so so running continues to be you know a, a spiritual
2: activity as well as a physical one for me. I find it to be no coincidence that we have so many runners at STM. I remember being at this one meeting and everybody was talking about all the 5Ks and half marathons that they were running. I was like, "Oh, is, is this is this part of is this part of the journey? Do, do I need to start training now?" Um, my dad was also a big runner. I sprinted in high school. I also found it to be uh, very centering, very very prayerful. Although maybe less prayerful for me because I was sprinting. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't have as much time to, <laughs> to stop and reflect, but I imagine that as you continue running today in your many roles, I, I wonder what the role is of running now um, as, you, as you've as you been taking on um, so much more responsibility over the years. In New Haven, we're undergoing a merger into, into one parish and obviously you've played a, a large role in that process. So I'm I'm wondering... In addition to running, what are the other things that keep you grounded um, in a time with so much transition?
1: You know, certainly in the ministry, and this is always important, especially when you're carrying a lot of jobs and a lot of a lot of what I do is administration. You know, a lot. Of, you know, a lot of a lot of what, and, and and that's required. You know, even even you know the the apostles, Saint Paul, you know, was con- deeply concerned about administration. He ran thirteen communities, you know, all over you know the known world at the time. So, and th- those stresses are real. I have to remember, you know, I'm doing administration as a pastor of souls, you know, souls that have been entrusted to my care. And that's always an important thing to remember. And it's easy to forget sometimes when you're, when you're consumed with, you know, um, you know, keeping all the trains running on time as as you know, a phrase my father <laughs> uses, um, you know, administration. And I was a nursing administrator once for, for a period. That's what I did before I went to the seminary. So I've got some, some experience there. Um, but the, the difference is, is your, is your, taking care of God's holy church and, and holy people. Um, so that's an important thing to keep in mind to stay grounded. Um, I also think in the course of my work, every, you know, no matter, no matter what's going on, whether it's, you know, paying bills or keeping buildings open or responding to this or that, that issue or concerned administrative stuff, that, that the phone's always going to ring and somebody's going to need you, you know, whether, so you're, you're going into the hospitals, into the emergency room, um, you're, you're. Accompanying families through through loss and and tragedy or preparing young people for for a lifetime together in holy Christian marriage, Um, hearing confessions, you know, when people are trying to fight the good fight, you know, every day it's an opportunity to start over, you know, a clean slate, Um, you know, celebrating the holy sacrifice of the mass and, um, you know, being a minister of Christ's body and blood. These are all whenever I'm at the altar, that's a very grounding experience in a very, very um, powerful, powerful way. The ministry is what grounds me, and 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 the again the the inspiration of those who are living their faith and um, and bearing witness to their faith and keeping the faith up against sometimes extremely great challenges. And then, you know, as far as the things that ground me, I'm, a, I'm I've got a great family and and close friends, friends in in priesthood and and in, and in the church and everything, but also you know people I've grown up with. Um, You know, who I'm still close with and they will keep you real. (laughs) They'll they'll remind you exactly who you are um, and and bring you back down to earth when when, when you need that. Um, But also pick you back up when you need that that too. Um, That support is always important. Good friends and and family. I'll tell seminarians when I talk to seminarians, um, (laughs) it's going to sound awful, but it's like, keep your pagan friends. You know, um, you know, we think when we go into, you know, in the seminary, it, you know, and it is you're starting a whole new life and you're shutting the, the door on, an, on, a, on, a, on a whole different life. You know, you're closing the door and opening a new one. Um, but you, that doesn't mean you cut everyone off. Now, there are relationships that the path of faith does require us to make some, you know, some serious hard choices sometimes, um, especially in, in the realm of relationship. But uh, we Shouldn't be quick to cut off those who keep us real and and who challenge us, you know, who know us, and the people who will answer the phone late at night when you need when you need someone, that kind of thing.
0: That's why this campus community is so special in that you, Zach, and your peers are randomly placed with sweet mates from all different backgrounds and faith traditions and perspectives and worldviews. Um, but we also have this Catholic community at St. Thomas More where hopefully one does become part of the community and forms friendships that have faith in common which are really needed in order to sustain one's faith and to hopefully grow it during your time here at Yale. So um yeah, I think that's very wise advice that you pass along to the seminarians and good for all of us too in that community is important and obviously a faith community is important too, but also those people who've who've seen us as we've been emerging into who we are and who God has created us to be that those are important relationships to retain too.
2: We started our conversation uh, about college and it's very pertinent to me as someone who's going through it and I completely agree with you Grace that it is such a blessing to be surrounded by so many different types of people here at Yale. It makes for great conversation and at STM, we have the great opportunity to invite members of different faith traditions um, to the Golden Center. Uh, as part of the Act Committee, one of my favorite things to do is our uh, fellowship and action dinners, uh, where we bring members of different faith communities uh, over to the Golden Center. Uh, we, sh- we share dinner, uh, share uh, stories and fellowship, and uh, complete small acts of service. Um, and, and I think. Those little bits of service are things that sort of extend beyond faith tradition in really beautiful ways and, and bring us together. College years are definitely a time of a lot of questioning. I've had my fair bit of uh questioning and I've always relied on my peers and also the chaplains to get me through it. And so, Father Ryan, I'm I'm wondering through your formation, I think we've we've talked about the great importance of, of Catholic grade school. Not everybody has that. And even if you do have that, it's not a given that you stay with your faith. And it's not a given that you also become a priest. So I'm wondering, what were those moments that sort of were turning points for you that positioned you and, and, and put you on this trajectory into the priesthood? And what have been those transformative experiences for you over time?
1: With that foundation on everything, obviously, like as a convert looking back and everything, was uh, those were, were important experiences in my life. Yeah, so college. Loved college. Um, and I, you know, I went to a small New England liberal arts college, Trinity College, one of the uh, 11 uh, NESCAC schools, you know, Trinity College, Wesleyan, Tufts, Amherst, those colleges. So loved college. And um, running was a big part of that. That's so why I ended up going to Trinity. Um, just uh, I would never have chosen to go to school 15 minutes from home. <laughs> <laughs> Trinity's in Hartford. Um, but it was it was for running um, and, and being on that team. Which was certainly formative and helpful. What was interesting is, you know, we talked about you mentioned that the, the amount of runners who are involved in our ministry at St. Thomas More. Um, most of my team on, on the cross country teams, men and women's uh, the, the men from the men, both men and women's teams uh, were 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 practicing Catholics. So you know, on Sunday night, usually, you know, we'd we'd all be there. Um and and you noticed when one of us was not there, um, or we'd be eating together late or break from study, it's like you're going to church, that kind of thing. Um so that was really helpful. We had mass at 10 p.m. I think 9 p.m. is late for us now. We had 10 p.m. when I was in college. (laughs) Um so that was always important and grounding. Now I did, you know, there were times that I drifted, or if there was something, you know, I felt at the time was more important, which obviously there's nothing more important than taking that break and getting to mass. But obviously we've also seen when we're really, really stressed out, sometimes church is the first thing to go when we need it the most, right? So um you know drifted here and there but it was always you know pretty present you know at, at mass and that was just, I was always grounding um you know amidst all the exciting stuff that goes on in college and all the temptations that come with college and the challenges and everything else you know having a pretty ground pretty solid faith life was important um i was also a world religion major and that was i'll always be grateful for that formation i look at it as formation you know, realizing that it really is ingrained in in every human person to be drawn out of themselves towards their towards God, whom we call God, the Creator, um, but it's really ingrained in the human person that they're that they're made for God. You know, God, we, we've been made to be in relationship with with our Creator, um, and you see a little bit of that in all the world religions. And you know, and, and I think it's limingensium. One of the Vatican II documents says there are seeds of truth in all the world's religions. And I and I was able to kind of examine that, and through that major, I was a double major history and world religion. So a couple of, uh, formative things. It was my sophomore year. I was visiting a friend of mine at Northeastern, you know, in the, in the summer, um, and, you know, big party, that kind of thing. Uh, and during the, the party, it got, you know, you cram, like, you know, 50 people into this tiny apartment in Boston without air conditioning, so in July. So I stepped out to get some air and stuff, and I was in an alley, and there was a, one of these great big dumpsters. as somebody who's moving out, you know, tossing all this stuff out and into this dumpster, and there was movement from behind the dumpster, and somebody came around from behind the dumpster, and it was, it was a homeless man. Um, and I was, you know, first a little, a little frightened in the moment. It was just the two of us there in the alley, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, here you know, here it comes, and, you know, got all um, nervous, concerned for a moment. And he came up, and and basically we just started chatting together, and, you know, kind of learned about him a little bit. He was someone who, um, I, I believe he was in, in Vietnam, and he came home from Vietnam, and then, you know, basically was rejected by his family, friends, community, and came home with a ton of issues, you know, post-traumatic stress. And... Depression and regret and um, drug addiction, all these things, and basically would spend his life on the streets. Um, you know, kind of shared his story a little bit. While I was talking with the guy, I just kept feeling, I just kept thinking about Jesus. I just like, you know, thinking like, you know, this is how it happens. You know, Jesus is, you know, in this person or Jesus is present here or something like that. And at the end of our conversation, he said to me, and I will never forget this, he said, he hugged me. First of all, that was interesting. And then, and then he said, never be ashamed to cry. And I always, I was not crying in the moment. I was not, you know, and I, I, that just shook me. And I, and then then that then I felt like, oh my gosh, you know, now I, I was hit was was struck with a lot of like with emotion and never be ashamed to cry. And and then he just he you know went his way. And that was the end of the conversation. I remember just looking back. I and I still believe, you know, this this is Christ speaking through this person. And I think of when we hear those parts in the gospel where Jesus is moved with compassion, moved with compassion, and the word, you know, I've. Um, Every time it comes up, every time that phrase comes up, I'll you know preach on this. I mention this. That the word that's used there is, I think, it's splenpisami. It relates to the the spleen, the bowels. You know that Jesus, in the face of human suffering or sin or or struggle, uh, sorrow, he would be moved. He would feel it so so deeply, um, and then obviously would move him to do something, to, to to heal, to feed, to, you know, want to be the shepherd for these lost sheep, all these things. So I, I look back on that, and it, it's like, I know what that feels like, you know, and he says, do not, never be ashamed to cry, it, you know, to be moved with compassion, to feel compassion. It was one of those moments where I definitely thought about being a priest without knowing what a priest was. I remember just driving home that day with my friend after the party in Northeast and all that stuff, and, you know, pretty much, pretty self-centered young guy, college guy, all that stuff, with, and then, but for, for at least a couple days, for a weekend, I felt like, man, I want to be a priest. <laughs> Again, not not knowing what a priest, yeah, outside of mass and stuff. But it was one of those moments. Um, and those things would come in and out. You know, definitely encounters with the poor. Um, there was one in uh, you know, the member of blessed with the opportunity to travel abroad the summer before my senior year of college in in Florence, Italy, and in all over Italy. But you know, there was a, um, I was on the Ponte Vecchio. You know, the place where all the uh, jewelry shops are and stuff and I bought my, I was getting my mom a you know a medallion of our blessed mother it's good, the image is one of my favorite images of the blessed mother Madonna of the streets, it's a very young um, image of our blessed mother, um, the artist made the image after his younger sister who's like 15 or 16 years old holding their baby brother, bought this beautiful medallion with that painting on it and I'm walking down the Ponte Vecchio and it's super super crowded, you know in the middle of the day and I can hear someone crying out Ayuta, Ayuta, which, you know, which means help, help And as I'm getting through the crowd, I noticed there's this guy um, wheeling, pulling himself up on, you know, again, Punta Vega, was a curved, like, stone bridge. And it was a guy who was basically, it was just, he only had a torso and arms. He had no legs. And he was pulling himself on a skateboard up this bridge, you know, with a can and crying out, Ayuta. You know, right in that very moment, you know, here's Madonna of the streets, and here is this person of the streets calling for help. Again, one of those moments where Christ comes to us through, through the poor, through the discarded, through those on, on the margins. I guess finally, these are out of right gone, gone from like the very dramatic now to just like basically the you know my 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 studies. So, uh, world religion and history major, and so for my double major, I wrote um, my my thesis on early Christian martyrdom. And I had a, a sister of Saint Joseph in the religion department whose class on Christian mysticism I took my sophomore year. Um, it was all about the martyrs, Felicity and Perpetua, Ignatius you know, Phyllis and Perpetua are named in the, in the Roman canon. And, and she's taught a bunch of college students, right? So she's like, the thing with the martyrs, it helps us to realize that what we do in the body is important. It's inseparable from our, our souls. You know, we cannot say that we believe in God or, or I believe I carry God in my heart or, or Christ is in me and then do something that, that is inconsistent with that, with our bodies, you know, and that's whether it's what we say, what we do, how we handle temptation. I found that really Moving, and, you know, again, sophomore year in college, and also very, very, very challenging. You know, this this image of the martyr and the way that she would emphasize it as as the martyrs knew that their faith was not just something that was that they carried in their hearts and their souls, but they had to bear witness to it with their bodies, and that always stayed with me. And so as that, as that was sophomore, and then all the way in senior year, at, towards the end of college, choosing to make my focus on on Christian martyrdom. And that's at the end of a whole, you know, pretty, pretty rich, but also, you know, all over the place kind of college experience, looking back and thinking, how was, was I consistent, was I consistent, you know, with believing in Jesus Christ in my heart? Was I consistent in, in how I lived it out with, with, with how I lived and moved through this world, you know, physically, the whole spiritual and the physical. So even just going through that process, with all the stress that comes with trying to write a 150 page paper at the end of college, that brought it all back home to me. In the end, kind of reflecting now back on four years of college, how did I do? how How, I, how do I want to live going forward?
0: Thank you for sharing all those. And clearly, and as you've said, yes to this vocation, you are bearing witness to Christ in many ways, and it's a great examination of conscience of how am I bearing witness to Christ? Have I been bearing witness to Christ? Is there a consistency between what I say and? what I feel and what I do and how I see and interact with those that I'm passing every day here in New Haven, whether in the Catholic Center, on Park Street, elsewhere in our city. Um, What would you say to students, so many college students, grad students who are trying to discover how God is calling them to bear witness in their life. And sometimes we think of it in pretty narrow ways. So to get married is to be a priest, is it to enter religious life, but a um, whole myriad of ways in which God is calling us to bear witness to Christ and to to really see Christ in the people that we encounter. What advice would you offer to them in thinking back on these really formative experiences for you in college?
1: to a couple of things first any at the end of the day you know making that examine you know where was god today um you know how have i how have i how did i recognize god um did i recognize god's presence and and miss an opportunity um have i embraced those opportunities giving thanks to god for those those times when we recognized him and and responded as god would want us to respond but also um you know, asking for mercy and forgiveness for those times in which perhaps we miss an opportunity to bear witness to our faith um, or or to serve our neighbor um, or to honor God, you know, present in a, in a situation. Uh, also calling to mind our blessings, the fact that, you know, each of us, according to our state in life, you know, God has, has, you know, in, in a sense placed us in a certain time and place and given us, given us a certain... Skill sets um, or, or 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 talents and gifts that that God wants us to use to glorify Him and bring others at least one step closer to Him through Jesus Christ, and that's all of us, no matter what our state in life, no matter what we're studying, what our what our experiences, what what baggage we're carrying. Um, you know, God has has called us to bear witness to Him, to glorify Him, um, and 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 to bring others closer to Him, um, and each of us will do that in our own very very unique way. Um, with with our words and how we're living um, and how we're accompanying those around us um, and, and, and carrying out the good work that, that God has entrusted us to do, you know, again, according to our state in life. This phrase that I often use, you know, we are the ones who bear the name and loving presence of Jesus Christ in the world. That is what a Christian is. And I don't remember whether I heard something like that or whether it was just something I just started saying a lot.
0: You've trademarked but, it now. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's mine. Yeah, I used it twice in this interview, right? Or so, um, in this conversation. Um, yeah, and I'm also reminded something that you once said, Grace, in your in, in a reflection you gave at St. Thomas More, that everything we do or don't do teaches, or everything we say or don't say teaches something about Jesus Christ. That's a powerful thing. It's very sobering. Um, But that, you know— if we are the ones who bear the name and loving presence of Jesus Christ in the world, what are we saying to others about who Jesus is? Um, it's a it's a profound gift and blessing. It's also a very, very gravely serious responsibility. I think of like when Jesus asked the disciples, but who do you say that I am, right? You know, who do you say that I am With with how you are living and moving through this world? Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus Christ
2: is? That phrase is actually one of the things I remember from my first year of college. And it's it's sort of a, a reflection that I've been having. The who do you say that I am? Um, that's something that I think about, um, about um, my identity as a Catholic Christian and how I bear that name and loving presence, um, to, to, to to quote your, your trademark phrase. And that's actually the perfect segue, because this is a question that uh, our our listeners are dying to know about. It is your suite of trademarked phrases. These are these are things that we hear and and we know it's the flagship Father Ryan experience. And I just want to name a couple of them. And I want to see if you have any reflections on where <laughs> where they may have come from or what they or the power that they <laughs> hold <laughs> for you. So you've already said one of them. It's bearing the name. And loving presence of Jesus Christ as Christians. Another one is, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And a fan favorite is, in this local manifestation of Jesus Christ at Yale University. I'm wondering if you had any thoughts on these phrases.
1: Okay, well, I'm going to make a confession on the second one. God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. I'm almost certain that I pick that up from someone. And I want to say it might be Father Pat. He was great for the, uh, for the one-liners too. Um, And I I think it might've been him, but I could be totally wrong. Um, I love that that's attributed to me though. So I'll take it. But, uh, but I I will say that that's really, um, I think that's, I mean, it's important. I remind myself of something like that, that, you know, none of this we can do on our own, whether it's, you know, being consistent with what we carry in our hearts, with how we live and move through this life. You know, again, what, how we how we live in the body and move through this world, um, how we fight against temptation and we strive to be holy. Um, how we carry this weighty responsibility of being being a Christian in the world. Um, or to or to try to see this through one day to another. You know, can't. Um, it's very it's very tempting to think I don't I don't have what it takes, or this is too too heavy for me, or too scary for me. That, you know, but it, that sense that God has called us, God's going to give us what we need. Um, to get through it. That's grace. No, not something we can do alone. So um, yeah, sure. So yeah, the local manifestation of the body of Christ. Um, I was thinking about this. I, um, I, In seminary, I had this awesome professor, Monsignor Paul McPartland, who is from uh, England, and he taught us uh, ordained ministries and all of this tied to the Eucharist, the priesthood of the ordained and the priesthood of the body of Christ. The two cannot exist without each other. And in a lot of this, he based in, in in the Eucharist, you know, which builds up which builds up Christ's body and bride, the Church. Um, and he presented two models of the Church. Um, this is yeah, so this is going to sound much more like basically like a class and not this, this is where I this is where I got it from, I think. Um, the two models of the Church that we might kind of keep in mind. So you have like a triangle, like a tiered triangle, the hierarchical um, model of the Church, and you can look at the Church triumphant, the Church uh, militant,
0: Church penitents
1: and the church penitents, very good grace, thank you. Um, so that the, the three realms of Christianity and of church, but also in the world, you have you have you know the pope, the 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 bishops, clergy, lay leaders, laity, and this whole you know the hierarchical image of of the church, um, which you know which is necessary. We are a hierarchical church. But he also um, presented the image of the church as more of like a horizontal image, and it's based on all of the Eucharistic communities throughout the whole world that have their center. In Rome, so you, maybe you look at like, like at least think of like the flying saucer diagram. You have at the center the circle, which is the Pope in Rome, or, um, the, the one who sits in the chair of Peter. And by exercising his priesthood through his celebration of the holy sacrifice of the Mass, that's what unites all of us throughout the whole world through our celebration of, of the holy Eucharist. Um, even that image that we have, that that thing that we do in Mass, we break off a little piece of the host and we drop it into the chalice. That reminds us of back in the early church, when the church was much smaller, when the bishop would be the, the the head priest of of the Eucharistic community. And as it got bigger, there would be, you know, Eucharist being celebrated in different places throughout the, the you might think of a big city like Rome or in the other villages and, and a piece of the host that was celebrated from the bishop's mass or, the, or the, uh, the central priest's mass would be brought around to all the other communities to remind themselves that we're united through through the one bread. And that's what makes us one body in Christ. And so to this day, when we do that, it reminds us that we're, we're all tied together through Peter and Rome, but it brings us all together as one body of Christ. But each of us, whether as individuals, those bear the name and the friends of Jesus Christ in the world, or in our various Eucharistic communities, we're local manifestations of the one body of Christ. So none of us are just an isolated bubble the church sometimes we tend to think of ourselves like that you know and uh, you know it could be thomas more it could be this parish or that parish we have a very parochial image that it's all within these four walls what happens here this is our special little place and you know we're the enlightened ones or whatever or we're unique in this special way and everyone else is out there and it's like no <laughs> you know we are we are one church we are one body of christ we just happen to be this local manifestation of it um one it ties us to the larger body but it's also like The world needs Christ in it. So here at Yale University, Yale needs Christ. And so on Park Street or on Hill House, where I'm also shepherding parish, this is the local manifestation of the body of Christ, you know, walking and moving among God's people. And so we find what we need when we come together for mass or, or for fellowship, you know, all that happens on 268 Park street, we come here to be fed with Christ, to be built up as the body of Christ and then sent out, right. Go in peace. It's not, just a, not just a nice, you know, fancy way to say goodbye, have a good day. It's like now go out there and, and transform the world. Go, um, go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. Um, go in peace, go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Here is now Christ moving among God's people, the hundred of you or the 200 of you or every little gathering of, or the six of you, you know, depending, you know, um, this little gathering of Christ, this local manifestation of the body of Christ is now going out there as Christ's, you know, you think of the prayer of Teresa of Avila, right? God, you know, Christ has no eyes, but yours, no no um no mouth but yours no feet to walk around the world doing good um, or hands to express you know to serve or give compassion I'm totally you know paraphrasing her beautiful little prayers sorry about that but it's it's true you know we are we are um those who bear the name and loving presence of Christ in the world but as this local manifestation of the body of Christ here in New Haven at Yale but we're all centered part of the big part of the one body
2: well that was a fantastic response I think when I hear those phrases going forward I think I'll, I'll have a lot more to reflect on. So thank you so much. I appreciate that.
0: Yeah, they always elicit a little bit of a smile, but to hear the, the theological background is um, is really edifying. And yeah, I think now we'll all think of that, think of the, the images that you presented to of the church. So thank you. And thanks, Father Ryan, for joining us today, your first time on the pod, on a pod, but especially on our pod, Finding God on Park Street. So a question that we ask all of our guests at the end, where have you been finding God recently?
1: Sure. Um, well, we've we covered a couple of things already, right, in the, in the celebration of the sacraments, um, you know, in, in the running, you know, even though with the heat and humidity and everything else, right, um, and, and in prayer, you know, been blessed with time with family, and friends. Um, also in the last month, just, you know, you know, we all, we also, you know, hard lessons learned, stuff like that. These are all places where we find, where we find God. Um, but I'll give you a funny, well, kind of a funny, but also probably hopefully don't want to make it too squeamish for those who are here or those who are listening. Um, but also when we receive care from others, you know, I'm, I'm, as I'm in a care profession. So I'm by my, in my ministry, I bring the care of the church to all kinds of people. And that's a great gift um, whether in the hospital or whatever else, but uh, it's, uh, I had a unique little experience on sunday i had just um returned uh, and or on saturday and had a funeral in the morning and then made a couple of visits uh i went to yale new haven hospital to, to visit a couple of you know members of our of the various communities in new haven um that's also a profound place to encounter christ those who are you know sick or on the mend or preparing for the end or whatever and and and, and still carrying the faith um that's a powerful thing But I had just uh, just returned from from visiting the sick at the hospital, and uh, you know there were a couple of couple of workers at St Thomas More power washing the building and stuff, and you know they're out there baking in the heat and working really hard. I'm like, let me get you something cold or whatever. So I went in to the kitchen at at St Thomas More, and you know that we usually have tons of polar uh, polar seltzer. Yeah, I know it well. Exactly, tons of cans of polar seltzer. But it's in the off season. So unless we're having something special, it's not like our our fridge is just packed with polar seltzer. But what we did have were two glass bottles of seltzer. And so there was um, looking for a bottle opener for about 12 seconds. And because it wasn't immediately before my eyes, I decided I would open the bottle on the edge of a table on a drawer. And after a bit of a fight, the first one did open. But then the second one, the bottle won. And, uh, you know, kind of exploded in my left hand here. So, yep, had quite a little cut. And uh, realized quickly this was not something the Band-Aid was going to take care of. So went straight back down to the hospital, thankfully from Park Street. It's just a couple of lights and just drove myself straight to the emergency room and, um, you know, went in and got it, you know, got stitches. But uh, it was a blast, I have to say. The, <laughs> the, um, the nurse, to, to the to first the first nurse who took care of me, Jamel, um, I guess the cut was so, um, and you may all want to totally cut this off, but I guess the cut was, 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 so deep and clean that sh- this was really, this was kind of great. So she calls two other nurses in to take a look at it. So they're all <laughs> poking and prodding at it, and she's like, see the fatty tissue and the epidermis? And they're like, wow, that's great. Um, just having a blast with this whole thing. And uh, and then um, the nurse, Giselle, uh, not a nurse, a resident. This is also the first couple weeks of residency. So gaining some experience on the ER by sewing up my hand for me. Um, but they were all just so so wonderful um, and you know, seemingly loving their work and working in and it's the ER. Um this is probably one of the lighter things they had to deal with in the ER. Um thanks be to God. But uh you know just just how kind and welcoming and 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 caring they were and and we're also just kind of like enjoying the whole experience. Uh so yeah, I um I was reflecting on that just uh, in and even that day and just thinking you know I, w- I would look at that as an experience of God's care and presence in, in a place where it's needed the most, you know, my, my thing was kind of silly and, but I, but I benefited from, from the care and skilled hands of, of those whom God has trusted his healing gifts to, but also that, um, these are the kinds of people who are taking care of, you know, the very vulnerable and, and those who are, who are scared or sick or hurting or whatever, um, had, I thought that was kind of a profound experience of God's presence in, in the ER of Yale New Haven Hospital.
0: Yeah, continuing to see Christ in the people that we encounter. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, Zach, for joining as co-host, and thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you next time on Finding God on Park Street. If you enjoyed listening today, please share this episode and leave us a rating and review. The producer of this podcast is Robin McShane, Director of Communications at STM. Sound mixing and editing are by Ryan McAvoy of Yale Broadcast Studio. And graphics are by Mary Lou Cadwell of Cadwell Art Direction. We hope this podcast encourages you to seek God's presence in your everyday life. Thanks for listening and be assured of our prayers.